The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about apps, and everybody is using apps, and there's a lot of danger and a lot of opportunity and a lot of excitement around apps. So we have a wonderful guest who is an expert in this area. So let me tell you a little little bit about Domingo Guerra, who is president and co-founder of AppThority. Domingo brings many years of lean manufacturing and Stanford's design thinking experience to AppThority. He is the president and he knows what he's doing. He has product design and development experience, as well as new product introduction and operations experience across multiple industries. As a mechanical engineer for applied materials, he led design and development projects in the robotics space, securing two patents and winning multiple design awards. With program and project management roles at Brocade Communications, Domingo led large functional matrix teams in the introduction of both hardware, and software enterprise products. And he has an MBA from Stanford, and I mean, he has a um, MS from Stanford and an MBA from Santa Clara University. He's coming to us from Northern California, and we're just thrilled to have you with us, Domingo. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mary. It's a pleasure. Okay. So what is AppThority all about, and, and what, do, what do you guys do? So we started AppThority in early 2011, we saw the mobile, uh, mobile movement really transform enterprise and enterprise security. We used to see all employees use Blackberries, and with the rise of iPhone and Android, Blackberries' decline was imminent. And instead of having employees use devices with software that was approved by security or IT professionals, in the mobile space, employees not only brought their own device to work, but more importantly, brought their own apps. So we started AppThority to help organizations manage the risk of apps as they come into the enterprise. A lot of these apps are not built with security or privacy in mind, and there's a lot of information that companies want to keep confidential. So we do static, dynamic, and behavioral analysis on apps automatically to help employees stay safe and to help protect corporate data. So do the employees, when they come with their smartphone, do they... You know, how do you know what apps are on their smartphones when you come into the business? So that's a great question. So a lot of times IT departments don't know what apps are coming in, and even sometimes employees don't know what apps are on their devices all the time. Uh, with mobile, a lot of folks share their devices with their family or their kids, 
and there, there's sometimes apps there for multiple users on the same device. So there's new technologies called MDM, or Mobile Device Management, which allows IT administrators to provision devices and provide secure email and secure access to corporate networks. And what our technology does is leverage the presence of an MDM, like a mobile device management, and then automatically discover the apps on those devices, assign a, a score based on the security properties, privacy properties, and whether or not there's malware present, and then let IT and security departments write policy to help re-educate their users, but also to help protect data. Yeah. So I would think that some of the employees would be happy if they found out that there's an app on there that their kid put on there that is exposing them to possible privacy invasions or identity theft themselves. I mean, I th- I can see it. It's not only good for the organization, but I can see it is really um, very effective for, for the user, right? Oh, absolutely. And our technology has been well-received by users and administrators alike, because as you mentioned, it's not only about protecting enterprise data now, it's protecting all of our data, our personal lives and our work lives. With mobile, both of these personas, if you will, live on the same device. So we might have important confidential information from our employer, but also our children's pictures and, and, and information within our devices. So it's very intimate, it's very personal, and it's valuable to protect both sides of the information. Yeah. So what is the suggestion for these IT people? Let's say that they you know, have people that are bringing in their, their smartphones and they, they have this management system that, that discovers what's on these different uh, cell phones. Um, are they, are, do they then tell them, you know, if you want to bring this to work, you're going to have to delete this app? Or how, what, is, what happens then? So that's an interesting situation in that IT departments don't want to be uh, enforcers of saying don't use this or don't use that as much as they want to re-educate the workforce. I think a lot of times as users, we forgot how to be secure or how to be smart with our smartphones. If we look at desktops and laptops, I think we learned over time not to open certain executable files, not to open attachments from people we don't know, not to click suspicious links. But smartphones are computers as well, and we seem to forget that. We usually click on anything, install anything, download anything, and really don't think of the risks. So one of the main tasks that IT and security professionals have right now is re-educating the workforce, showing the risks, and then putting a name to the face of the problem. So it's not just saying there might be some apps that do X or do Y, but saying this social networking app that you have is accessing this information, and and this expense reporting app is sharing data and clear text, for example. So it's guiding users into being smarter with what permissions they grant and also giving them visibility into the behaviors that sometimes remain hidden in the Mm -hmm. application. So then they probably write policies that if you have something that the IT department has said is a danger, um, you, you'll need to take care of it. Otherwise, you know, I just I just can't imagine that companies will want that vulnerability in there if they know about it. They're going to probably have to have some policies that say that you have to remove these apps or, or not bring in the, the cell phone or something, right? I mean, I just can't imagine that they would allow them to keep doing it if it really puts them at, at risk. That's correct. And that's why we introduced a, a few weeks ago at our RSA in San Francisco, we introduced enhancements to our product to let customers build policy of enforcement over time 
it's difficult to say from one day to the other, stop using this app, but it's easier to say this app is doing is sharing the corporate address book and sharing, and sharing the corporate calendars to third parties. That will increase corporate spam. Let's not share those permissions. So it lets IT send messages once a week or once every other week to, to employees so they know which apps are, are putting data at risk and then, in turn, it can change employee behavior for the better to protect not just corporate but also personal information. So, Domingo, is this something then you said that it updates all the time because people could take their smartphone home and their kid uses it and downloads a new app? So is this something that is continually done in monitoring smartphones? Yes, Mary, that's a great point. Unlike traditional desktop software that didn't really change often, uh, and it was only less than, usually less than 20 different pieces of software per computer. On mobile, we see on average 150 apps per employee device. Yeah. And then these apps are constantly changing. Right. So there's a new version almost every month. And then also a, a few weeks ago, we published our study of the top 100 iOS, which is the iPhone apps, only 43, 43 of them re- remained in the top 100 after six months. Wow. So even the popular apps keep changing constantly. So wow. it, it, it becomes a very tough problem to, keep, to stay on top of all of these apps from an analysis perspective. And that's why we've had to develop a lot of automation to constantly monitor all the app stores and see when we get new apps, but also constantly monitor employee devices so that as soon as they get a new version of an app or as soon as they install a new app, we can provide them with the trust scores they need to know what behaviors are present or not. So that brings up an interesting privacy issue for employee privacy. Um, you know, when people bring their 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 cell phones to work or whatever, they feel like that's their private information. They have text messages on there that are their private information, maybe between you know them and their girlfriend or boyfriend. Um, they have things between maybe even stuff on there between themselves and and their doctor. And so what about the privacy issues? How, you know, how are you protecting that when you're monitoring these apps? Great question. And it comes up often, especially with our customers in Europe, where there's very strict privacy laws, stricter still than here in the U.S. And something that we've done is allow IT to have visibility into the app behaviors without knowing the person's name or the person's identification. So they won't see that John has Angry Birds and that Jill has a LinkedIn app, but they will say device A has this app and device B has this other app. They're able to write policy and then send enforcement actions and enforcement messages without necessarily knowing who the person is that receives those messages. So we act as a broker of information between IT and the users to protect the user's identity but still be able to protect corporate data. Interesting, interesting. What about um, when you're collecting this data about the app, is there any personal information that's also being collected? Great question, and the answer is no. We do not export any data from the app themselves, from the app on the device. Instead, we see the app information in order to say, for example, it's this version of the app, and this is the hash number of the app, and then we pull that app from the App Store, download it ourselves, and perform our analysis. So there is no user data on the app because we're not doing the analysis on the device. We do the analysis on our cloud system. 
Wow. So how does that work? How, how do you do that? <laughs> I mean, I don't want you to give away patents, but I mean, can you give me, I mean, it's amazing to me. So how, how basically does that work where you're able to um, get into that? Through, is it like through wireless? I mean, how does that work? Great. So we built a cloud-based system that has uh, some technology called disassemblers. So we can take the binary file, which is the app file, um, IPA for iOS or APK for Android, for example. We basically take the app apart to expose the source code in the app and do a source code review to see what URLs or what SMS numbers or what websites the app can communicate with externally from the device, but also what calls it tries to make inside the device. Then we run the app on instrumented emulators, which are engines that automate the analysis of running the app on a virtual device or on a physical device. And we're measuring how the app behaves at runtime. Wow. And finally, we do behavioral analysis, which is testing preset scenarios. So, for example, does the app behave differently uh, at a different zip code? Maybe it has some triggers to behave differently in, in New York than it does in California. Or maybe it behaves differently at a different time zone so that it'll It'll only do something, uh, something tricky if you're at work hours, but not when you're at home, for example, if it's trying to spy on corporate data. So we take all of these engine results and then automate a report process that creates reports based on the findings. That means that each app and each version of an app will receive a different score and will show summaries of the behaviors we found so that IT can write policy onto which behaviors they allow or not. Wow. So let me ask a, 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 probably a more simple question for me as, as a non-techie. Um, and, and so if I'm an employee at a big corporation and I walk in the door, then as soon as I walk in the door with my smartphone, and I have a Windows phone, so I'm not, I'm not carrying an iPhone or an Android. I have a Windows phone, and I don't have a lot of apps because they don't even have a lot of apps for Windows phone. But um, so I walk in the door um, is then through Bluetooth or, or wireless, is that how you then, um, it, when, when the company says, okay, we're going to use your, your particular uh, management system or whatever, when I walk in the door, is, is that captured all my app? I, I, I'm just, I just kind of want to visualize what happens. So not automatically. So the enterprise risk is when they grant access to your smartphone to use corporate emails or corporate servers. Okay. So when they provision the device, which means when they allow the device to enter the, the work environment, that's when they can use our technology. So it won't happen automatically if you visit a company or if you just walk in with your phone, they won't be able to tell what apps are present. But if you give them access to install the right software to transfer and receive emails securely, that's when we would be able to look at those apps. Okay, so that's that's another important thing for maybe even small to mid-sized businesses to understand that you don't want to freely just authorize the the smartphone of your employees to access the the emails and everything um, and the 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 platforms of your company unless you have something like this, right? Correct. It's important to at least know what devices are accessing your network and what is on those devices because the new edge or the new uh, borderline of where security starts and ends from a responsibility perspective has been extended. So now the new edge in the network is really all the devices and all of the apps on the devices, 
that can access our data. Mm. So let's talk, I know you've done a lot of research. What is the most risky app type of behavior? We've seen a lot of information come up in the news around malware, and that's mostly around Android. And although malicious and, and dangerous, it's really a small number. We were surprised a few weeks ago to find out that actually all apps, iOS and Android, are leaking corporate information. So it's not always bad people making bad apps like malware. It's sometimes good people making bad apps or, or good developers that make mistakes, uh, that don't use encryption correctly, that save password in clear text or transmit data in clear text without encryption, or that fall into the temptation to make money or to monetize by selling user data to advertising firms and ad networks. Wow. So we were surprised to find that Obviously, free apps were riskier than paid apps. By a large margin, free apps are sharing more data than paid apps. Right. Because they, they have to make money, right? <laughs> correct. correct. So American people but forget surprisingly, that. Yeah, and, and even the paid apps were sharing data, and that was something that we found surprising. Uh, about almost 50% of the paid apps were still ha sharing data with ad networks. So even though you buy the app, you only paid about 99 cents for it. And that's not always enough for the developer to make money and to continually support the app and provide updates. So they have to make money somehow, and that really means they have to do something with the data they're collecting. And were you looking at all at their privacy policies, if they were transparent about that? They are starting to be more transparent as the government has gotten involved. So we've seen in the last few weeks uh, a few news come up on, on the FTC settling uh, with some of the app developers. Mm -hmm. um, the thing is that's not very clear is that when someone is granting permission to an app to access their calendar or to access their address book, they're also granting that permission with other third parties beyond the app developer. Yeah. And that's not always clear in the privacy policies. Right, right. And a lot of people don't have, you know, on, on, we all use our smartphones and very few people really use encryption. Very few few people really have the same kind of um, antivirus and anti-spyware and all that on their smartphones. They just don't recognize how important that is, and it's it's not as user friendly, is it? Correct. It's harder to read a privacy policy on a very small screen, for example, on the phone. And again, we have to break the mindset that these are phones by themselves. I mean, they're really just computers now. Right. Um, and it's just the beginning. The app ecosystem is powering phones and tablets, but also we're starting to see apps in cars and refrigerators and the smart home and, and smart watches and everything. So this app phenomenon is moving and spreading, and we just have to be smarter with how, what data we share with these apps and how we built these apps. Right, right. What types of apps such as banking or dating or medical apps um, should users be most wary of? I mean, I, I think that's pretty scary when you have some of these apps um, with your bank especially. Yes, and we've seen banking apps improve over the last year, so that's the good news. Is Originally, the first mobile apps were mostly marketing-related. So maybe let's find the nearest ATM, right? Uh, and that was it. So they weren't very very broad in their functionality, and they didn't require a lot of security uh, assistance. But now that you can deposit checks and transfer money and make transfers and visit your account, 
now the security departments and all the banks are involved, and the banks' apps have actually matured, so they're getting a lot better. Uh, with dating apps that you mentioned, a lot of times it's all based around ease of use for the user, but there's not a lot of uh, thoughts into security and privacy. And we found most of the popular dating apps were not only saying uh, this person is close uh, within a few miles to your location hmm. uh, so that you could find maybe a date closer to you, but they would give exact GPS coordinates. Oh, my so God. So that could be a little scary if yeah. they know exactly which where you live or where, what Starbucks you might be in when you're using that app. Right, right. How about medical privacy? What do, what do you find? Because I know there have been studies about how a lot of the medical privacy apps really are not so private either. That's true, too. And a lot of times it's there's not a lot of app developers within the medical field. So most of the medical field is relying on third-party developers to build the apps. Right. And these developers might not be trained in HIPAA compliance or data management perspective. So we have found quite a few medical apps and pharmacy apps that were not encrypting data correctly. And that can be lead to HIPAA violations, but also just reaches of information where someone could know what medicines you're taking or searching for, for example. Yeah. Uh, in the last few weeks, we've helped a few of those app developers improve their apps, and we try to keep our, our blog updated as to wh what we've found and how developers can improve upon that because it's really all of us, all of our responsibility to help improve the state of security in the app space. You know, since we're talking about that, why don't you give your blog URL right now so people who are listening, and we probably have a lot of students here on the campus that that are, you know, using apps like crazy. So what is your blog URL? So the blog URL can be found on authority.com. Okay. So that's A-P-P-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y. And then the blog section is under the news and events. So okay. it's just authority.com slash blog. Great. We're speaking today with Dominga Guerra, who is president and co-founder of AppThority. So he's brilliant and telling us all about these exciting things. Came from Stanford University, getting his MS and his MBA from Santa Clara University. Let me ask you something. So I'm scared to death to use that app. I, I won't even download the app that you can take the picture of the of your check and um, and it goes into the bank. Um, I know it would be really convenient, and I know my kids probably think it's wonderful, but um, is, my, is my fear legitimate? So there are some concerns, and I think the biggest fear is with, with mobile devices, it's not just the app, but where you're using the app. So oh. if you're at a Starbucks, for example, using their free Wi-Fi, mm. those are always or often target by folks trying to intercept data right. between users and their banks. Right. So then that would be one of the concerns. Uh, if you're going to use your mobile device, it's safer to use your carrier, uh, 4G or 3G or LTE or w whatever right. Internet access you have directly from your carrier. Right. And then it's also important to say, I mean, it's great to use the app to take you out of a bind, but it might not be the best way to do all of your banking from your mobile app. Yeah, yeah, I never do banking for my mobile app, you know, I and I usually only do it at my office or at my home where I know that I have my router and I have all my security stuff because I, you know, just I, I've seen too many scary things happen. 
Um, what can the so let's talk about what the average smartphone user, maybe students who are you know at the campus here, or business people who are driving by, or people listening on the internet. What can the average smartphone user do to protect ourselves from this some of these risky behaviors? Can you give us a list of some things we can do? Absolutely. First and foremost, point out that these smartphones are very powerful computers now. They're stronger than the computers that put the man in the moon. So just to put things in perspective, and they're small enough that they fit in your pocket. So they're very strong computers. We have to think of them as computers and not toys. Second, not everyone in an app store is who they claim to be. So we found recently a lot of fake apps that claim to be from a legit developer. Wow. So especially when you have kids, for example, we found some fake Disney apps on the Google Play App Store wow. that claim to be from Disney, mm. as a Disney Princess wallpaper, for example. But then they had adult ads for dating sites. Oh. So there's just make sure that the developer matches the app, uh, not just the app name. And how do you do that? Second, Wait, how do you do oh, that? From, when we download the apps, it says the app name, but also the developer. So if, if the app mentions Disney, the developer should be Disney as well, I not see. a different developer. Okay, okay. Then when we download the apps, on Android, you'll see a pop-up with all the permissions that the app requests. And there it makes sense to just do a quick browse and see, for example, if it's a social networking site, it might make sense that it needs your contacts so you can invite your friends. But if it's a flashlight app or a calculator, it doesn't need your calendar. It doesn't need your address book. Right. So some of those things you can tell that the permissions don't match the function of the app. Right, right. And, and lastly, there's a lot of times where we'll see data that's being shared with, net, with ad networks or with third-party uh, inf- information seekers in the app space. It's just important that, to know that nothing is really for free. So if we're using something that's free or only 99 cents, it's probable that we are the product. Our, or our information is a product. Right. So let's, let's be careful with that and, and not keep anything on our phones that we wouldn't want made public, especially if we have a lot of the free apps out there. Yeah, good, good advice. Now, we only have a couple more minutes. Let me ask you, what, you know, you're so um, you know, adept at all this technology, you're good techie, you, you get the idea of privacy, you get the idea of security. What are your general thoughts about privacy and security trends? Is it's the this whole thing is changing so quickly? It's changing a lot, and I think a lot of it is because of social networking and how open uh, a lot of the folks, especially the young folks coming up now that grew up with technology, it's normal to share everything about their lives from relationship status to how they're, what they ate for breakfast, do anything. Everything seems to make itself online. Right. Uh, and it's hard later on to distinguish between what we can share or what we can't share or what should be public and what shouldn't be public. Uh, as everyone enters the workspace, the, the, there's a lot of co- confidential information uh, that it's important to keep private. So making the distinction between what we can share and can't share from personal to work is sometimes difficult. But then also, once you share something, it's hard to take it back. Right. So knowing when to draw the line, and we have to start policing our own privacy. Otherwise, uh, the advertising firms will take as much data as we give them. So it's really our responsibility as users to make decisions 
that protect our privacy. Yeah, perfect. Let me ask you one last question because I think this is really key, and that is, you do this um, this management to figure out what's on the on the cell phones for companies. Do you also do it for people who are just regular consumers that they want to know really what's on their apps and how safe their apps are? Do you have something for consumers too? Not yet. Uh, we're working with some partners, so some of the carriers want to be able to offer this to their consumers, and it's just such a big problem that we had to focus right now in the enterprise right. where it's easier to identify what's confidential and what's not. Right. So we, we will be working with some of the carriers to help parents know what apps are on their kids' devices and know whether or not those should be there or not. Well, Domingo, when you get that going, you give me a call and let's do another show, okay? Excellent. Okay. Thank you so much. You've been wonderful. And uh, we'll just send people, just give your website and it's time to go. Thanks, Mary. Everyone can visit our website at www.appauthority.com, and that's A-P-P-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com, or find us on Twitter at, at AppAuthority. Okay, Thanks, terrific. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 o'clock. And just let's find out more about what you're concerned about with apps and all these crazy privacy issues. Thanks. Bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.